Good morning, church. Would you stand with us today? We're going to celebrate all that God has done in our lives. Come on, let's put our hands together. this morning we just declare yes I will yes I will praise you in the lowest valley yes I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy God what a powerful thing to say yes I will regardless of your circumstance Father God we choose to praise you I count on one thing 
The same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God who's never late is working all things out. You're working all things out. Come on. Yes, I will get you high in the lowest valley. Christ alone, Lord. 
singing right now in your own way and in your own words just lift up your praise to our God tell him how much you love him how much he means to you God I praise you Jesus I thank you that you saved me when I was lost say to a few people here today because I really feel like there's some people that need to hear this this morning. We talk about our love for God, but in reality it's all about His love for us. It says in Romans chapter 5 that God loved us so much that while we were lost in our sin, He sent Jesus for us. If we could take that and put it in modern day vernacular, I would just say it like this. God loved you so much that He didn't wait for you to come to Him. He sent Jesus to you. That's who our God is. That's how much he loves us. This morning, maybe there's things that are happening in your life that are kind of repressing your praise or your worship unto our God. Maybe there's things happening in your life, big circumstances or challenges that have discouraged you and maybe the praise that should be there for God maybe, maybe isn't there at this exact moment. But can I just tell you something? 
our God is faithful in and every season we could ever walk through and he is worthy of our praise no matter where we might be. I just want to encourage some people in the house this morning. Let praise and worship be the bridge this morning between where you are and where you want, to, want God to meet you this morning. Can you just lift your hands one more time? Lift your voices one more time. Father, we thank you that you love us, that you're for us, and that you are with us this morning. God, we recognize that lifting our voices and lifting our hands, it's not an act in vain today, but instead we know that when we lift high the name of Jesus, we encounter by your grace the presence of Almighty God. We thank you that you are here with us today. Father, I pray that you would heal those who are hurting today, those who might be sick in body, that you would be our healer today. God, that you would deliver those who are trapped in bondage in some area of their life. For the one who is distant and crying out for you to intervene on their behalf, I pray that they would find you this morning, God, knowing that your love, your grace, and your mercy is right there, and you're standing with open arms waiting to accept them in. Father, above all else, I pray that you would be praised in everything that's said and done this morning, that we would hear from you, that we would know you more as we gather to lift your name high. Jesus, we praise you this morning. It's you that we love because you first loved us. We honor you today. We invite you in. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, can we give our God praise one more time this morning? Come on, can we praise him like he is worthy of it this morning? Amen. Amen. Nothing like being in the house of God with God's people. Nothing like being in the presence of God. Nowhere else I'd rather be on Sunday morning than right here with you, with our Heavenly Father. It's so good to be in church with you today. We are thrilled that you are here. We're glad you made the effort to be in church this morning. It would not be the same without you. So welcome to church. Welcome to the bridge. Before you're seated this morning, I want to give you the opportunity to say hi to a few people who are standing around about you. Greet a few people this morning. Welcome to church. Tell them how good they look today and how happy you are to see their face in church today. Bridge Youth, junior high and high school students, you can be dismissed right now to go to Bridge Youth through those double doors right over there, junior high and high school students. Good morning. Hey, I love second service because you've already had your breakfast, you've already had your coffee, and you are awake. Hey, how, how many think second service can make a little more noise than first service? How many think that? How you doing today? Everybody good? It's great to see you in God's house. We're really glad you're here today, and especially those who might be here at the bridge for the very first time. Glad you're here. We're honored you're here. 
A lot of great churches in this valley, and for you to be here with us today, it means a lot to us. We hope you find your place, get connected here at the bridge. This is a good church, and our hearts and our lives, our arms are open to you. So get connected. Today, if you've got any questions while you were here, out that first set of doors to the right, there's a connection center. They can answer any questions you might have. Also, you can check out the website, thebridgechurch.tv. We'd love to get connected with you. Thanks for being here today. Let's put our hands together and welcome all of our first-time guests here today. God bless you. This is a special day here at the bridge because we've got special friends in the house. You know, one of God's greatest gifts is friends. I've got a friend here today, two friends actually. They've been friends for over 40 years to me. Jim and Pam King have been here with us before, spoken on different occasions and ministered. Recently, we had a group of our church went to the Holy Land on a Holy Land tour. Jim and Pam led that tour. We had an amazing time there. If you're thinking about going to the Holy Land someday, stay with us. We'll get you hooked up either next year or year after. It's an amazing trip, and these guys are the best. But Jim and, I, Jim and Pam and I go back over 40 years. Uh, let me tell you just a little bit about Jim. He's been a traveling evangelist. He pastored for a while years ago. But a lot of his ministry the last several years since the 1990s when God opened up the Soviet Union and it broke into pieces, he went into the Ukraine and began to preach crusades, saw hundreds and thousands of people coming to Jesus with no churches to house them. So he found a way of getting Bible schools to them and educating young pastors, and he had several hundred Bible schools across the Ukraine. And then Ukrainian Jews started going back home to Israel when the nation opened up, and now he's got Bible schools running all over Israel. God's doing great things through their ministry. And in addition to that, a couple of years ago, God sent him to, to uh, I almost said San Antonio. That'd be a bad thing to say, wouldn't it, in Texas? Austin, Texas. To Austin, Texas, to pastor a church there and do a transition with the church, get them ready for the future. And they're doing both ministries. They work two full-time jobs. They're amazing people. But more than that, they're people of God who know God, and I want you to hear from them today. So if you would put your hands together, give a welcome to Jim King. Good morning. I like this church, don't you? In fact, I love this church. You got a wonderful church. You know, as I was sitting there this morning, I thought if I pastor would give me an office, I'd just move out here. But I don't know if, I don't know if he'd do that or not, but... I want to honor them today. As Pastor said, over 40 years we've known each other. He dedicated me as a baby to the Lord 42 years ago, and that's how we met. And he's had such a profound impact on my life ever since that time. <laughs> had to have a moment. <clears throat> May I be serious and tell you how blessed you are. In 40 years of ministry, I've circled this globe, been in many countries, haven't met everybody, but I've met a lot of people. And I've never met finer people than your pastors. You say, well, they're great pastors too. Yes, I know that. Yes, honor them. <clears throat> the highest compliment I can give them is not that they're great pastors and teachers and preachers, because they both are, but it's the, the finest people I know. You know, Saul prophesied in a backslidden condition. These are people of integrity, and this church is under great spiritual covering and I honor them today, but I wanted to go a step further and say, your staff, you have a wonderful staff, Pastor Gary. Uh, these guys just, uh, I've known uh, some of them for a few years. 
a wonderful staff, wonderful team. And if they're not lying, they tell me that you all are wonderful. So you're just really a great church. So we're grateful to be able to be here and worship the Lord with you today. My wife has done this with me for a little over 40 years as well. That's when we met Pastor Gary. I'd like my wife to stand. This is my wife, Pam, the greatest GG to five beautiful grandchildren. And uh, there's nothing like being grandpa or grandma. You know, that makes you grateful you didn't kill your kids when you had a chance to kill your kids. Uh, they got five from the ages of eight to two, and I don't want to be that grandpa, but you insisted I show them to you, so here they are in a couple of pictures, uh, two different pictures, because this is going to relate to what I want to speak to you about today. Remember those two right there in just a moment. That's Winston, Ella, and Josephine. She rules the world, and that's Caden and Corbin, uh, our sons, two sons. I want to speak to you this morning from the Word of the Lord out of the book of Matthew, the 18th chapter, if you'd like to be turning there. Pastor asked me to share this morning from God's Word, and as I prayed about it this week, I originally was going to go down a whole different trail than I am, and then about four days ago, that just kind of all shifted, and, or four or five days ago, I don't remember what day it was, and so I'm going to speak to you something just very simplistic. If you want the deep stuff, come back next week. This is going to be just beans and cornbread. I'm from Oklahoma. He said we live in Austin, Texas, but I am from Oklahoma. My wife's from Oklahoma, uh, and, and you know it's on a mission field. Uh, you know, we've done missions all our life, and for an Okie to go to Austin, Texas, where the Longhorns are, and pastor, that is a mission assignment. Uh, Every football fan understands what I'm saying. While I'm on that topic, uh, any Trojan fans here today in the room, I hope you whip them in uh, September when you come. Would you do that? Just beat them real good and we'll beat them in October. We have a lot of fun with that there, but the Lord did assign us to move there, and we know it's His plan and it's His purpose, and we're grateful for His provision along the way. One thing you can rest assured in, God has a good plan for your life. It may not look like what you think it's going to look like, but he has a good plan for your life, and there's one reason, he's a good God. I want you to stand to your feet with me this morning and do something with me. I like to preach to smiling people, so I don't care what you do, tell the person beside you something that'll make them smile, like you look like you had a facelift this week, you lost 10 pounds this week, uh, I think you're richer this week, tell them anything you want to tell them. And now you can be seated. I, that's all I wanted you to do because uh, now that you've told a big old lie, I'm going to preach on lying. I'd like to have a good response, so we're all on the same page today. I want to speak to you on a very simple topic, and it's really the most overlooked statement of Jesus. Jesus' most overlooked statement. Now, some of you perhaps are new to the Christian faith. You haven't really had a lifetime of reading the Bible, and you're beginning to learn and to grow. And some of you, though, probably have served Christ for decades, and you've read the Bible all of those decades. And so some of the very familiar statements of Jesus just instantly come to your mind when someone says them, like this one. I think you could probably complete it for me, and I'm going to ask you to do it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He also said, I am the resurrection and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Very familiar statements. He said, seek first the kingdom of and his righteousness, and he had all the things you worry about, he'll add them to you. Very familiar statements that Jesus made in Scripture. There's another one that I believe is just equally as important. 
but it doesn't get the airtime that those do. You don't hear them as much. I want to direct your attention to Matthew chapter 18 this morning. And I want to read five verses of Scripture. I'm reading from the New King James Version. But Jesus makes a statement here that I believe is just as important as those other statements that you could just have just completed with me. But we need to give it its honor. He's talking uh, to all of us, obviously, as this story is told by Matthew. It says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them. Please note he said a little child. And set him in the midst of them and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever therefore receives one little child in my name receives me. Four times in five verses, actually really in, yeah, four verses, Jesus uses the term little child. Or the scripture uses little child, not a big child, a little child. What I want to speak to you about this morning is lessons I learned from my grandchildren. That's why I showed you their picture. Lessons I learned from my grandchildren. Every grandparent's going to say a lot of amens today, right? Would you pray with me? Ask God to speak to your heart. Father, this is a serious statement that Jesus made. We're going to examine it. But I ask you to help us to learn from this today. You want us to have life, and you said in your word you want us to enjoy life. So, Holy Spirit, you are the teacher here. Teach us how to have life more abundantly, more fully, and to live and enjoy life in the kingdom of God. I ask in the name of Jesus, amen. And amen. When you look at this passage of Scripture, we see here that the Scripture's t- talking about something going on among the disciples. Luke recorded this story, and he says it this way in the ninth chapter. He said, a great dispute broke out among the disciples uh, over the topic of who would be the greatest among them. Jesus hears this argument going on, and as they're arguing over who is the greatest among them, I think it becomes apparent to Jesus that they're really not getting the concepts that he's teaching them to kingdom living. And so that's when he pulls this little child into the picture. But if you were to just go back into the events that transpired before this, the Bible talks about in a different place in the Gospels where they were walking along the way, speaking among themselves, arguing among themselves over who would be the greatest. Now you have to understand that these followers of Jesus at that time did not fully get the picture that we understand today. The Bible's very clear. It was not until after the resurrection where the eyes of their understanding opened and then did they realize that he had not been teaching them about an earthly kingdom he was going to establish. But all of these principles, he'd been teaching them in this somewhat somewhat private Bible school were eternal principles of an eternal kingdom he'd come to establish. They thought Jesus was there to establish a kingdom that would liberate them from the oppression of the Roman government. Israel, the Jews, lived under the oppression of the most oppressive government in the world, the Romans, and they were looking for escape from it. They were looking for Messiah to come and set up his kingdom and to deliver them from the oppression of the Roman government. Thousands and thousands of people are following Jesus. It's very obvious to them in their mind he could get elected anything. Masses of people were following him. But here in the midst of it, he picks 12 out. So these 12 probably had to feel a little bit special. And these guys, we called the disciples were in a private Bible school with him for over three years. 
They had earthly tendencies. They had human tendencies. They were no doubt jockeying for position in Jesus' kingdom. That's why they were arguing over who was the greatest among them, who was going to get the highest seats in the cabinet, who was going to be, if he's going to be a king, who's going to be the assistant to the king. And then in the 12, the Bible shows us that he went a step further. There were three of those 12 that he pulled even a little tighter into an inner circle. Peter and two brothers named James and John. And these three were a little closer in the sense that on special occasions when the 12 were with him, he would leave the nine and take the three. For example, at the Mount of Transfiguration, it was those three men that got chosen to be there at the Mount of Transfiguration. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus is about to be taken to be crucified, he takes the 12 into the garden to pray, but the scripture says he left the nine and he took the three, went a little further, and then he left them. For some reason, there was a dynamic with these three men. And so I share that picture with you for you to see that a dispute broke out among them over who would be the greatest in the kingdom because they were looking for position. There's not anything wrong with that. If you work hard, you want a promotion, you want a raise, you want to climb the ladder a little bit, there's nothing wrong with having ambition. It's just that their attitude about it was flying in the face of kingdom principles because Jesus said, I did not come to be served. The Son of Man has come to serve. Instead of arguing over who's going to be the greatest among you, you ought to be looking for ways that you can serve man. You've come to serve man. But still it gets tighter because there was an occasion the three realize uh, he only got two sides, a right seat and a left seat. Uh, there's three of us, three's com- uh, two's company, three's a crowd, so to speak. Uh, so one day the mother of James and John, this is all in the Bible, comes to Jesus. I don't know exactly how she put it. I don't know what she brought with her. But the Bible says she asked for her two boys, James and John, to have the chief seats in his kingdom. Let one of them sit on your right side and one of them sit on your left side. She, being mama, probably knew there was three in the running for two seats. And she probably came maybe bringing a cherry pie, maybe some chicken wings, maybe some tamales and said, hey, just sit down, Jesus, let me talk to you. These 12 guys, they're they're really good guys. They've been faithful to you. And I, I realize that. But have you ever noticed that my two boys just excel a little bit higher than those other 10 guys? How many mothers can relate to that? Can I see your hand? You want to get the best for your kid and I don't know what it was that she said or what she did but she tried to gain his influence and he began to say you don't understand the kingdom and I just imagine a few months later when Jesus was hanging on a cross and there was somebody on his right side and somebody on his left side but it was two thieves dying she probably thought thank you Jesus that you didn't answer my ignorant request a few months ago. I don't know why he didn't answer. Maybe he didn't like the cherry pie. I don't know, but they weren't getting the picture. That's what we're seeing here in reading this. And you're probably thinking, Pastor, this dude is long-winded. It takes him that long to get to his point. I'm just as hungry as you are. We'll be out of here shortly. How many of you can think fast? Let me see your hand. I talk fast, so we're going to think fast. But there's something in here that Jesus says, come here, And he takes a little child. Everybody say little child. Not a teenager, not a middle schooler, not a high schooler, a little child. And he sets that little child in the midst of them and says, unless you, let me go back and read it. Unless you, are you with me? Are you listening? Unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. That hit me one day as a wow statement in the Bible. 
Just like he said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus said, unless you convert, you change. And quit acting like you're acting. And become like little children. You will have no part in my kingdom. And it became very serious to me because I want to be part of his eternal kingdom. And it made me begin to examine what is it that little kids do that big kids don't. And that's just a, a, a term for adults. What is it that we did when we were little? Obviously, we once did all these things little kids do because we were once little kids. But what is it that we have quit doing that we did then that now we're doing that Jesus sees habits we picked up along the way that Jesus says, if you keep doing that, it's going to keep you out of my kingdom. you got to go back to those ways. What lessons we can learn from little children. So this is lessons I've learned from my little grandchildren. And the first one is right here tucked in verse number four. Jesus said, whoever humbles himself as this little child is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but when I look at a two-year-old running around making noise and screaming and making a mess everywhere, the last thing I think of is humility. But the Bible says, unless you become humble like this little child. And I began to ponder that. What does it mean? How does a little child display humility to the Father? Because when I see little children, you know, a two-year-old, what a life. All they do is eat, sleep, and play. Eat, sleep, and play. How many like three weeks of that could I see your hand? I mean, it's just like a very, very simplistic life. I don't see humility. I see noise. I see stupidity. I see racket. I see uh, confusion. I see everything in the world. Messes you got to pick up. I, I never saw humility until I saw that Jesus said, there's a humility about little children. And here's how I think it is displayed, and here's what I want to illustrate to you. Suppose you took a group of little two-year-olds, and you went and saw them in a, in a daycare somewhere, in a setting where there's 10, 12, 15 of them in a room, and all they're going to be doing is running around, screaming, yelling, playing, making messes, and having fun. And you walk in at a moment that their teacher has stepped maybe to the restroom and you let some big old boy about six foot four walk in with a big old booming voice and all these little kids are running around screaming and yelling. He looks like Goliath to them and he says with a booming voice, hey, who's in charge in here? You do that to two-year-olds, you know what you'll do to them? You will paralyze them. They'll go, Ugh. It's not on their mind who's in charge in there. One of them might finally speak up and say, I don't know, it's a woman in a red dress. Another one might speak up and say, I don't know her name, but my mama drops me off here every day on the way to work, and I come here, and I play, and I sleep, and I eat, and I play, and I sleep, and I eat. Mama come and get me, and we go home. I don't know who's in charge here in here. I don't know her name. You know why? Because a little child, it's never occurred to them that they could be in charge. It's not on their radar. They're not asking to be in charge. They're happy with you in charge. They're happy with you feeding them. They're happy with you providing for them. They're happy with you taking control. It's never occurred to them they could be in charge. That is why Jesus didn't pull an eighth grade boy into the group of those disciples and say, unless you become like this middle schooler, you're not going to get into the kingdom of heaven. You know why? Because every eighth grader has already figured out somebody is supposed to be in charge. And teacher, if you're not in charge, I promise you in your classroom, some young man will step forward and he take charge. Is there any teachers in the house today? And if he does, don't blame the kid, blame the adult. Amen. 
You know why? Because between 2 and 14, they figured out somebody is supposed to be in charge. But to a little child, it's never crossed their mind. I'm not in charge. I don't want to be in charge. The big person is in charge. Listen to me. Perhaps you've accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. That's the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. The second greatest decision you'll ever make in your life is to take him not only as your Savior, keeping you from eternal hell, but making him the master and the Lord of your life and beginning to sing with Carrie Underwood, Jesus, take the wheel. I'm not in charge. You're in charge. You know why? I promise you God's got a better plan for your life than you've got for your life if you let him take control. Little children live with humility of submission to the one in charge. It's easy to preach, but our own daughter, 18 years old in high school, she was very athletic. She'd won a lot of scholarship money to Oral Roberts University in our home city. And so that's where you're going to school. And so somewhere along the start of the last semester at breakfast table, she says, Dad, what would you say if I told you I didn't want to go to college next year? The game plan is already laid out. And I said, what do you mean? She said, I don't feel I'm supposed to. I said, what do you feel you're supposed to do? She said, I feel like I'm supposed to move to Los Angeles. Now, we live in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm supposed to move to Los Angeles and go to the Dream Center, be part of the Master's Commission, and, 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 and serve at the Dream Center. I didn't even know she knew that it existed. And after I fell out of my chair and picked myself back up, I said, well, I said, that's not downtown Tulsa, you understand. And she says, well, I know, I know, but I feel like that's what the Lord is saying to me to do. So I privately told my wife, I said, we can handle this. We'll fix this. We'll just fly her out there. We'll go with her. We'll take her some weekend. She'll see it. That'll fix it. She'll say, man, this isn't for me. It fixed it all right. Those little dirty kids crawled up on her lap, and she said, this is where I'm supposed to be. I began to pray, and God began to tell me that's my plan. And so as I uh, flew out there, and I took her, moved her out there. Pam couldn't go, and then I had to turn around and go back to Oklahoma to speak at a missions event. The day she moved in at, at, uh, to her place, she wasn't moved in. I left her on a sidewalk with a suitcase in her hand, not knowing where she was going to sleep tonight. You may not be able to relate, relate to that, but every father of a daughter can understand, I don't like leaving my daughter on a, on, on a sidewalk somewhere with a suitcase, knowing where she's going to sleep tonight a thousand miles away from home. And for a nickel, I would have told them all to go jump in the creek and taken her back to Tulsa, Oklahoma. But as I stood there that day, I realized I could not do that because my daughter had to let Jesus be master of her life moving forward, not her father or her mother. At the same time, my wife, if she was telling this story, would tell you, I told the Lord, not my daughter. My daughter's going to cross town to Oral Roberts University. She's going to marry a fine, upstanding young man, and they'll probably go into the ministry. Pick somebody else, God. And God spoke to my wife and said, have you raised your daughter to hear my voice? And Pam said, yes. And he said, then what are you doing trying to talk her out of it when she's listening to me talking to her? I'm talking about saying, Lord Jesus, not my will, but your will. Jesus, take the will of my life. I have this planned out, but evidently you've got that planned out. And I can't tell you the whole story, but I can tell you the plan has worked out a whole lot better than we had would have worked it out because somebody said, you know what? I'm not in charge anyway. I don't know exactly what he looks like. I just know his name's God and his son's name's Jesus. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. And I've said, Jesus, be the master of of my life. That's what little children do. That's what Jesus was trying to get these men to see. I got to hurry. That clock's moving. Little children have a humility that big kids do not have. Secondly, little children, this is tied to the first. If you, you can be humble and turn it over to him, if number two, you trust him. 
Little children are very trusting. Little children are very trusting. They let you stick anything in their mouth. They may not swallow it. They may not like the taste of it, but they let you stick anything in your mouth. If they're comfortable with you, you can change their diaper. If your mama or daddy, they just trust you to feed them. They trust you to change their diaper. They trust you to take care of them. They just have a complete level of trust that big people don't have. You know why? Because between little child status and big kid status, uh, somebody broke our trust and we're no longer as trusting as we used to be. And if we're not careful along the way, we begin to create this picture in our mind of God that God is this human action. Don't let the actions of fallen humanity become your picture of God. You may see hypocrisy in people, but you do not serve a hypocritical God. You serve a God that is true to his word. The scripture says God is not a man that he would lie, nor the son of man that he would repent. Has he said, shall he not do it? Has he spoken? Will he not make it good? You can trust him at his word. Little children are trusting. I learned this one from my daughter, not my grandkids, but they do it with the grandkids too. Our daughter was little, like two years old. I had this little game I'd play with her because she was always adventurous, still is. I would put her up on top of the refrigerator, and she'd jump to me. And so I'd stick her up there. She'd jump. As soon as I'd catch her, as, as soon as I caught her, out of her mouth would come, again, Daddy, again, Daddy. And I'd put her back up there, so I got where I'd back a little further, just a little bit further. And it kept growing like that, where she'd jump off that thing like a flying squirrel right into my arms, and I'd catch her and put her back up there. Now, if you want to play this game, the key to this game is you got to catch them every time. If you ever let them plop in the floor, it's not going to mean more again, Daddy. you got to catch them every time. It got to the point I was so far away one day, I literally stepped like this back away. I was going to let her really jump, and before I even turned around, she was already jumping. I was turned this way, and I barely caught her. She completely trusted me. Why? I caught her every time. Now, that refrigerator is about three times taller than her. She's two feet tall. I'd put her up on a six-foot high thing. She'd jump right into my arms. Let's do the correlation between a little kid and a big kid. I'm six foot one. Put me up on an 18-foot ledge, same correlation, same ratio, 18 feet high and stand out there and say, jump, Jimmy, jump. Guess what? Jimmy ain't jumping. <laughs> Especially if Pastor Gary's the one down there doing the catch. I know what he'd do. I'll see if he bounces. Honey, you'd have to have Jesus, Mother Mary, and about four angels standing there for me to even think about it. Because I've learned between two and today that man may fail me, man may let me down, man may break my trust, man may play a trick on me, man may hurt me, but I serve a God that if he says jump, I'm going to jump because he's never failed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he was faithful in your past, he'll be faithful in your future. You can trust him. You want to live a life trusting him in his guidance for your life. Number three, little children are impossible to offend. They're impossible to offend. That's huge. You know why? Because down later in this same chapter, Jesus goes into a teaching on offense and forgiveness. Same book, I mean, in Matthew chapter 18. And he basically, here's what he says. He says, if you don't forgive, you can't be forgiven. I'm paraphrasing, but it's in there in Matthew 18. He also said in the seventh verse of that chapter, he said it is necessary is how the King James puts it. It's a word that simply means it's unavoidable. It's unavoidable that offenses will come. On this planet, people are going to do things that offend you and hurt you. 
little children are impossible to offend. When you become a big person, you're going to have to make up your mind that you will not be offended. You have to choose not to be offended. You have to choose to forgive no matter what someone does to you. I want you to catch this because I'm talking about how to be part of his kingdom. If we don't get this down, it's going to be very difficult. Because we've received forgiveness from God, he expects us to give forgiveness. You say, how can I do that? You make up your mind, I'm going to be a forgiver. That's what God did for each one of us sitting in this room. Long before you blessed this planet with your presence, God knew you would sin. His word says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So he made up his mind, whatever that sin was, didn't matter. There's all kinds of sins in the world. Some of them are big, some of them are little, but folks, sin is sin. And God made up his mind, not if you sinned, but when you sinned. If you would ask him to forgive you of your sins, he would cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Now, now catch this. You had to repent to get the benefit of the relationship. However, God was not moved off his game. Whether you ever repented or not, he'd already made up his mind. If you wanted to come into relationship, we'll come into relationship. But I've already made up my mind. I don't care what you do to me. I will forgive you. If you ask me, you'll enjoy the benefit of my forgiveness. However, God had already made up his mind to forgive. You have to make up your mind to forgive people. Whether or not you ever really have a hunky-dory, rosy, peachy, kissy-kissy, smoochy-smoochy relationship will be up to a lot of factors. Just because you forgive doesn't mean you're supposed to go coffee with them every week or you'll be best friends. They may never repent. They may never ask you to forgive them. But you have made up your mind no matter what they do. That's what God did for you and me. Some people will come to Christ. Some will not. No matter what you do with that, God said, I've already made up my mind. I have forgiven you. And if you'll live your life that way, no matter what somebody else does to you, I promise you it will be liberating to you. You will say, I will not let offense, wounds, and hurts dominate my life. I will choose betterness over bitterness. I will not let offense take me down. I choose to forgive. I choose to forgive. I choose to forgive. And hear me clearly, you'll have to make up your mind more than once uh, because sometimes salt will get rubbed in the wound. You can just say, I choose to forgive. You say, how you do that, preacher? You pray for them. You bless them. Go buy them a gift, whatever you got to do. But you say, I'm not going to let offense get in my heart. You make up your mind. My mother-in-law is a wonderful, God-fearing woman. Her, Her husband was my pastor, so I married the preacher's daughter. It's kind of tough on dating, actually, but anyway, we got through it. I grew up in this particular church. When I was 11 or 12, they became the pastors. Pam and I went through high school together, dated in high school, and um, my father-in-law was like a, a second father to me. But that grew into that relationship. When the relationship was young, we're dating. I'm going over there hanging out. The Lord called me to the ministry. I went to Bible school. He had an influence on my life. I knew this church very well because I grew up in it. And one day, uh, early on, either in our marriage or Bible school days, it was old enough our relationship was not just a kid in the church dating my daughter. I don't remember the exact year, but I was young. I went to their house, and my mother-in-law and pastor's wife is sitting in the den floor of their house, and she's crying. And I said, Betty, what's wrong? And she said, well, at church yesterday, this lady said something, and she called this lady's name, and she said something very offensive, very hurting, very cutting to the pastor's wife. Shouldn't have happened, but she did. And so when she told me that, I instantly said, oh, Betty, my goodness, I've known her all my life. She's like that to everybody. Don't pay any attention to her. Just ignore her. That was my sage advice. That's why I don't have a counseling shingle hanging out on my door. 
couple, three months later, happened again. Same deal, same person, same scenario. I gave the same sage advice. Ignore her. She does everybody that way. She just got a wicked tongue. Ignore that woman. I know her. known her since I was born. And my mother-in-law looked at me and said something I've never forgotten. She says, you know what? I've made up my mind I'm going to do. I'm going to win this battle. She said, I've made up my mind to do this. I have been praying, God, make me ignorant. Make me so ignorant that people want to offend me and hurt me. I'll be so ignorant to it, it won't even hurt me. It won't even offend me. Just make me ignorant to it. And when she said that, I'm sitting there thinking, woman, God's already answered your prayer. That's the most ignorant way of praying I ever heard in my life. Not all the young men, you don't say stuff like that to your mother-in-law. You just think it. You don't say it. But I thought, that's the most ignorant way of praying I ever heard in my life. But my wife would tell you, my mother-in-law evidently prayed that prayer because I've watched her the past 40 years. She's the happiest woman, happy-go-lucky. She's almost unoffendable. I've seen people say things to her and just go over her head like I wonder who they're talking about. She's 83 years old, been widowed 34 years. She's probably one of the happiest women in the state of Oklahoma today. You know why she got free of that? And she said, offense will not dominate my life. You know why I know little children are unoffendable? You try it sometime. You let a mama be holding a baby and here's mama holding the baby. She's got this baby in her arms. It's a cute little baby. You want to hold it and you go up to that little baby. That baby is going to respond to the tone of your voice, not to the words you say, the tone of your voice. You don't go up to a little baby if it doesn't know you and say, man, you're a pretty little thing. Let me hold you. They're not going to come to you. They're going to go, ah. But if you go up to it with a sweet little voice, doesn't matter what you say. You can go up and say, oh, you're the ugliest little thing I have ever seen. Where'd you get that big nose from your grandpa? my, man, Dumbo ears, man. I'll throw a purse up here. I'm not talking about your grandkid. I'm just illustrating, okay? But you know what that baby will do with that sweet little voice? It doesn't matter what you're saying. You will never hold that baby in your lifetime because while you're trying to hold it, that mother will have beaten you to death with her purse because you didn't offend that baby, but you offended the mother. The little one's unoffendable. The big ones aren't. Everybody say this out loud. I choose to not be offended. And I will forgive because I've been forgiven. Final thing I close. Little children are always hungry. You ever notice that? They showed you a picture up there of our two, two youngest grandkids. Caden is always eating. He's got food in both hands and in his mouth at the same time. And as soon as the mouth empties and one goes in, his hand's out for another. He'll eat mine. He'll eat yours and somebody else's and then his. He eats all the time. You know why? They want to grow. Something in them says grow. I don't know why God wired it that way. Why can't we keep growing? Well, we can, but it don't grow the same way. <laughs> but little children are hungry all the time. If you want to enter my kingdom, Jesus said, just stay hungry. Just stay hungry. Have you come to Christ and ask him to forgive your sins? How many of you can say you thank thankful the Lord has taken your sins away? Aren't you glad for that? You came because you were hungry. You realized your need of a Savior, and you were hungry for someone to take your guilt and wash it away, and you came to Him. But here's a mistake people make. They get that need satisfied, and then if they're not careful, the hunger goes away. And all I'm wanting to say to you is just stay hungry before the Lord. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to blow it. You're going to fall down. When you fall down, get up. You see, hunger is a great motivator. Pastor talked about us moving to the Soviet Union. I didn't know lick of Russian. I didn't know yes or no in Russian, really. 
We moved over there, and it, was, it had fallen apart. There was no money. People needed jobs. And I realized you could hire an interpreter for $5 a day. And I told my wife, I'm not going to learn Russian. These people need jobs. $5 a day, we'll just hire one every day. And after about a month, I realized I didn't want one of them around all the time. If I want to take my wife out and be romantic, it's kind of hard to do that with a 19-year-old interpreter sitting there telling, you know, what, what you're supposed to eat. So I started learning foods and directions and numbers and learning to speak some Russian. You know why? Because I was hungry. I like to eat. Hunger is a great motivator. When I was a baby, this true story, before I was a year old, I think it was, my mom said, the doctor put me on a diet. I looked like a little white Buddha. Just like that. With a little round head on top, head on top of the ball, bald as a cue ball. The doctor said to my mom, Pauline, you've got to quit feeding this baby so much, cut his rations. It's tough on a baby when you're used to them sticking food in your mouth all the time, and then all of a sudden, mama quit sticking so many cookies in your mouth, and you can't walk, and you're sitting in the floor, and i got two older brothers, identical twins, seven years older than me, very identical, one just as ugly as the other one, and they're going to the cookie jar. I don't get a cookie because doctor said he's too fat. I don't know what motivated me to walk, but I'm convinced it was that cookie jar. By George, I'm going to get up on my feet, and I'm going to get there because I'm hungry. It's kind of funny then. When I started moving toward it, I started walking some of it off. Isn't it funny how it goes? You start walking toward it, and some of it goes off. I'm saying to you, the way to get into the kingdom and to stay there is just stay hungry before God. You're going to sin. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to fall down. But little kids know how, hey, I'm hungry. I'm going to get up. I fell. I scraped my knee. Look around the room. We've all done it. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But I promise you, if you'll just keep getting up and you'll keep moving toward Jesus, someday you're going to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of the Lord forevermore. Aren't you glad you have that promise before you today? Stand with me if you would, please. Every head bowed, every eye closed, I'd like to pray with you if you'd give me this privilege. There may be people here this morning or this afternoon that you have moved toward Christ, but you've never said, come into my life and forgive me of my sins. Maybe you're here today, and maybe you've been attending the bridge. You, you love the presence of the Lord, but the Bible says, believe in your heart upon the Lord Jesus Christ and confess him with your mouth. Maybe you're watching online, and that is you. I'm going to ask you to acknowledge something today. May I ask you how many people in this room do believe Jesus is the Son of God, that He came to this earth, and He died for the sins of mankind? If you believe that, just raise your hand and put it back down. Nobody's looking around. So I do believe that one. I believe that for sure. Do you know that's the first hurdle and the biggest hurdle to coming to Christ and having your sins forgiven? You have to believe. If you believe, all He asks you to do is to declare your belief in Him and ask Him to come in. Would you give me the privilege of leading a prayer today that you can join in and you can invite Christ into your life? Pastor later will tell you a step to take that will help you begin to grow and walk toward Him. But you have to take that first step. Maybe there's someone here today, you've stepped toward Him and you've quit walking toward Him. You decided, today I'm going to get back on my feet. I'm going to stay hungry. I'm coming to you, Jesus. I'm going to keep walking with you. Would you pray this prayer out loud with me? Declare with your mouth your faith in Christ, please. Everyone say it. Heavenly Father, I come with thanks in my heart that you sent your son, Jesus, to this earth. I believe he died on a cross. You raised him from the dead. And through that, he paid the penalty for my sin. I have sinned.
I'm sorry, forgive me. I repent. I come as a little child and say, I need you. I trust you to wash my sins away. And on this day, June the 24th, I declare Jesus Christ, Son of God, my personal Savior and Lord of my life. I pray this in His name. Amen and amen. Would you give Him praise this morning that you can pray that? Come on, would you give Him praise this morning that you can pray that from your heart? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much for letting us be here with you today. You're a wonderful church. God bless you. Give Jim King a good hand this morning. Would you do that? Jim, thank you so much. Pam, thank you for being here as well today. You know what? If you would just be seated for just a couple more minutes. I know you enjoyed that message today, but let me, let me just do a couple of things real quickly that we need to do as a church. First of all, uh, in a few minutes we'll conclude service, but I want your attention just for the next few minutes. Uh, the most important decision you make in life is accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Once you've made that decision, once you've prayed a prayer as we prayed a few moments ago, that relationship with God begins. But that's not the end of the relationship, it's only the beginning. We've got a little booklet called The Next Seven Days. It's really simple reading for the next week to help you get started building a relationship with God. We don't just want to give this to you. We feel like it's our responsibility to put this in your hands to help you start building a relationship with God. Christianity really is about relationship. It's not about religion. It's about relationship with God. We want to put this in your hands today. So there's two things, one, one of two things you can do to get this booklet. When service is over, we will have prayer teams at the front of the building. They're here to pray with any person here for any need. But they've also got these booklets. And if you just walk down to the front of the building and say, hey, can I get one of the booklets? They'll give it to you there. No strings attached. If you just want to get it and go, that's fine. You won't offend anyone. If you've got questions, they can answer questions for you. If you need prayer for something else, they're here to help you and pray with you. But please let us put this in your hand. If you're in a really big rush, before you leave the building, the glass doors as you exit in the foyer, right in the middle, there's a counter set up right there with the, with the screen right there. It talks about beginning your walk with God. If you'll stop by there and say, can I get the booklet? They'll give you the same booklet. If you don't remember the title, the next seven days, they know what you need. Stop by and let them give it to you today. We want to help you begin your relationship with God. It's the best decision and most important decision you make in life. As a matter of fact, can we put our hands together and welcome new members into God's family today? God bless you. We love you. We want to connect you with God and connect you with his people. And this morning, as I listened to Jim talk, my heart was warm, not just because I've known Jim all these years, and I hear him speaking to our church, speaking God's word and helping change lives. But I stopped and realized in the, the 40 years now I've known Jim, all the places he's gone, all the places he's been, we got to go to Israel with him and see the fruit of his ministry in Israel in one of the churches there, a Ukrainian-speaking church in Israel. It was an amazing service we got to be a part of. But you know, I've known Jim all these years. He's been a dear friend. I've watched his ministry grow. The amazing thing is he's making a difference 
all the way around the globe, and you and I are a part of it. Because you don't even know this, probably a lot of you, but our church for years now has supported Jim and Pam's ministry in the Ukraine and in Israel. You're a part of what they're doing there. And I promise you, they are building Bible schools. They are planting churches and raising up church leaders. They are making a difference in the world. You're a part of that. And every time you give, and yes, we're about to give to God as he's blessed our lives, giving him his tithes and our offerings. As we give to God today, just be assured, your giving makes a difference right here at home at the Bridge Church, but it also makes a difference in Israel and Ukraine through ministries like this. So God bless you as you give. The ways you can give are on the screen. The ushers are coming right now. Watch church news with us so you know what's going on at the Bridge Church, and we'll dismiss you in a few minutes. God bless you. Good morning, everyone. My name is Mia, and I want to welcome you to The Bridge. We are so glad that you and your family are here with us. If you are joining us for the first time today, we want to give you an extra special welcome and say thanks so much for choosing to spend your morning with us. We would love to meet you today and help you get connected so you can find your place in the church. So take a look at church news and let's see what's coming up at The Bridge. Then we'll be right back to tell you how you can get involved. Are you new to the bridge? Are you interested in getting involved in church life? If so, we want to invite you and your family to come to Connecting Point. Connecting Point is the place to come if you want to learn more about the heart, mission, and vision of the Bridge Church. It's also the place to come and meet our pastors and find out how you can be a part of everything we are doing as a church. It's happening on Sunday, July 15th at 6 p.m. This is a very casual evening that lasts about one hour. And if you have kids, childcare is provided for all kids, infant through fifth grade. If you'd like to join us, just sign up at the Connection Center before you go today. You can also sign up on our website, thebridgechurch.tv. We hope that you'll come to Connecting Point and find your place at The Bridge. Hey folks, Kids Day Camp is just around the corner and it's approaching fast. It sure is, and we's looking for some volunteers. We need a few more to join the team. You can sign up by visiting our website by clicking on the Kids Day Camp banner or you can stop by the Connection Center in the lobby and sign up there. It's going to be amazing, guns are going to be blazing, and your kids are going to have a blast. <laughs> it's going to be a really good time. Yes, indeed. If you'd like to volunteer for Kids Day Camp, please join us for one of our meetings Sunday, June 24th, or July 1st, immediately following the 9.30 a.m. service. If you are here for the first time today, we want to invite you to come to the Connection Center right after service. Our team is here to meet you, answer your questions, and give you all the details about how you can get involved here at The Bridge. Take a few minutes to stop by and say hi before you go today. We want to do our best to help you get connected in church life. If you made a decision today to commit your life to Christ, pick up your free copy of The Next Seven Days right after this service at the Next Seven Days desk. Don't do your journey of faith alone. 
Let us help you take your next steps. For info on anything else, you can check out our website, thebridgechurch.tv. Thanks again for being in church with us today. We love spending Sunday with you. Once again, thank you for being here today. Have you enjoyed being in church today? It's been so great to have you, to have our guests here today. Let me say this before we go, a couple of things. Uh, I'm so excited about what happens in the summer here at the bridge. It's a little different season. You know, folks are already hitting vacation, taking weekends and so forth. But next weekend, we have a great youth event happening all throughout the weekend. Uh, you know, a week and a half after that, we have kids' day camp. A lot of stuff where we are really reaching out to our kids and our youth. We are focused on them throughout the month of July. But here's something really cool. I mean, we'll have a couple hundred at least teenagers here next weekend. We've already got over 500 children enrolled in youth a children's kids camp this summer. It's going to be an amazing time. Uh, by the time the week's over, we may have six, 700 kids. It's going to be awesome. And here's the thing. If you want to get involved volunteering there, we'd love to have you. We need you to stop by today and get ready for, get signed up so we can get involved in the, um, the uh, the meeting next Sunday between services. Excuse me for getting stuck there. I'm in a hurry. Uh, we'd love for you to get involved, so stop by and sign up today. We'll be in contact with you. God bless you. We love you. Have a great, great week.